0: You're listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is Season 9, Episode 3, The Artist Roundtable, Part 1. The Makers and Mystics roundtables are unscripted, unedited conversations around a particular topic. Season 9's roundtable centers on mental health and the artist. Joining me for this discussion is singer-songwriter John Mark McMillan, and author-illustrator, Vesper Stamper. I'm your host, Steven Roach, and this is part one of our three-part discussion on mental health and the artist. So, I recently listened to a clip on NPR about Kanye West and growing concerns about his mental health. And in the conversation, they asked the question, how can we separate the art from the artist? And that question stood out to me as something for us to explore in the context of our current focus on mental health and the artist. And so to give a little bit of context, the clip I listened to, which I'll link in our show notes, was referencing a music video where Kanye had depicted a claymation dismemberment of someone who resembled his ex-wife Kim Kardashian's boyfriend. And this brought up the question, is this just someone processing disturbing emotions through their art, Or is this something that should be cause for alarm? And of course, Kanye's supporters defended the content, simply calling it performance art, holding that it can't be critiqued on any other terms than artistic license. But to others, this content suggested a disturbing or even volatile state of mind that should be taken as a cue for intervention. And so although our conversation tonight is not about Kanye West or the content of his video, nor is it about the tabloid drama of pop culture, I mentioned this example as a launch pad into our own discussion about how mental health plays into the creation of art. And so echoing this age old question, how can you separate art from the artist? I want to ask, can you separate art from the artist? And should you? Can you
1: separate art from artists? So I'm going to say that yes, you can. Should you is another question. But I'll start with yes, you technically can. A lot of great things happen through not great people. I've heard that Thomas Edison was not a great guy, but I've got a light bulb <laughs> on. You
0: right. know,
1: like, and and, and and so there are a lot of things that have moved humanity and society forward that have happened from not great people. And I think that, uh, that also doesn't excuse their actions. You know, I think the problem comes when, um, because somebody is great, then they sort of get a pass on things, mm-hmm. especially in the present. I think in the past, it's sort of like, you just got to take the whole thing. But, I uh, there's a lot of conversation to be had you know there's a lot of dead musicians who definitely would be canceled today Mm -hmm. um and it doesn't excuse their actions but they did important work that we and we stand on their shoulders and so like you can't discount the work they did just because of uh some of the problems they had Mm -hmm. because then it hurts you But it does get sticky, though, when you are used. Is it a stamp of approval? You know, I've had this thought recently, and I think here's a major problem. Is every statement you make online is geared towards 7 billion people. Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm talking to you guys together, we have a context, right? And then if I'm talking to you apart, we have another context. And I can say things because you know that we're speaking in the context of one another. We're not hiding anything. But if I say something, it's in the context of who I know you are, and um, and you take it that way. But all of a sudden, when you start speaking to a hundred people, everyone has a different context. So you have to get a little, you have to uh, get a little thinner, right? You have to cut off certain things because you're like, well, people don't have context for this or context for that. So you you squeeze it a little bit, and so I think one problem is now is everything everyone makes sort of has the potential to be delivered to, I mean, how many billions of people are online. So sometimes it's really hard to say something because you don't always know who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It's like, cause you could potentially be talking to everyone, but uh, all my examples are inappropriate. (laughs) So
2: (laughs) I was thinking that we're not really wired in terms of our psyche or you could say evolutionarily or whatever we're we're not really wired to think on grand scales like billions of people we're really wired to respond to the influence of a, a small sphere of people mm. that surround us and i think that um you know up until pretty recently even kings didn't really interact with that many people you know they had their their circle of influence and then everybody else was kind of a was invisible to them or was it was just a a thin concept you know and so for the artist I think you know you saw it in sort of um I mean I'm not on Facebook or Twitter anymore but you would see this in the posts like hey Facebook family you know or I'm. I'm so. Thank you so much for your support. These are total strangers, you know. Thank you so much for making me feel like you all had my back or something. It's like, how? That's not true. <laughs> you, you, yeah. you you have to know that that's not true, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, are you you know as an artist, are you having an overinflated sense of your own influence or your own importance or your own greatness? Mm-hmm. You know, and. Mm-hmm you know, are you, is an artist, is any artist truly great or is it just that they're lauded by fans and institutions that have a certain set of rules and parameters or preferences or whatever, you know? And so like the concept of greatness and influence, I think are, they can really screw with your head because we're not wired that way, I don't Mm -hmm. think.
0: So for me that would quickly bring in the subject of social media and how social media impacts our mental health and obviously you know none of us are necessarily anti social media we might have our own you know parameters of how we interact with it and we've all read the studies about teenagers that are spending multiple hours a day on social media and how that is directly linked to depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. aggression and antisocial behavior, you know. So there mm-hmm. is there is a link there at least to be considered with what you're saying, Vesper. Yeah. You know, about how many people we we really can genuinely engage at a time.
1: And the studies are pretty um pretty well accepted studies show that there's a uh from 2007 to today there's like an exponential increase in suicide among young people and that has changed is pre-2007 suicide was more a um not not uh exclusively but was much more prevalent in males and men and and it and um especially older college you know early um Adults. And it's and number one, overall, it's gotten lower in age. And number two, it's become much more um, prevalent in females, even yeah. than in men. And so it's like a very, uh, a very swift and extreme change in the numbers. And about the only thing you can point to is that in 2007 is when social media became accessible through your phone. And it's only become more and more accessible you know so there definitely are mental health challenges associated just specifically with social media and i mean we haven't even had it that long 2007 is not that long ago right yeah. and it's changed uh, the whole world in such a short period of time and so uh, it makes sense that we're not mentally able uh, we're not mentally mm-hmm. adjusted to it because it's so new you know we our parents couldn't teach us about it it didn't exist when i was 13 when I was 14, 15, I don't know when MySpace (laughs) hit. I was in my twenties when MySpace hit. And so that, you know, just wasn't, there's no one to teach you. You're just sort of like, oh, here you have access to the whole world and the whole world has access to you. Have fun. (laughs) How could this possibly go wrong? (laughs) How could this go wrong? Exactly.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to bring this back to what you said earlier, John Mark, when you were talking about a lot of great things happen through not great people. And um, I want to bring in a Mm -hmm. quote from a psychologist. His name is Adam Grant. And Adam Grant said that in toxic cultures, people get promoted for results. Even if they destroy relationships, abuse is a price to pay for high performance. But in healthy cultures, no level of individual excellence justifies undermining people. You're not a high performer if you don't elevate others. I love that last line. You're not a high performer if you don't elevate others. And so when we're talking about greatness, Hmm. I mean, I'm obviously grateful for Edison at this moment as well. But where does the relational aspect of life come into the conversation about greatness Mm-hmm. as it relates to our art.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a definition of healthy leadership is that it elevates others. It doesn't put the self on the pedestal, but it's... Uh, somebody said it to me once, like a, a, good, a good guide through the woods doesn't call you to follow them, you know, because they're them. They'll show you the path so that you can summit the mountain yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. And if an artist in any capacity is a leader, whether great or small, you know, yeah, that is going to be a healthy paradigm. I mean, it's funny because we talk about we we instantly leapt, right, to like greatness and to, right. you know, these examples <laughs> of like who are the greatest artists we can think of. Like that's what that's where my mind is going, right? But for every great artist, you know, for every like let's say larger than life kind of figure like a, like a Jackson Pollock or a Hemingway or something, you know, um, both of whom, you know, (laughs) talk about art versus artist, but, you know, but (laughs) then there's the workaday artist, you know, who's, you know, behind the scenes or, you know, putting food on the table or um, fulfilling commissions or doing all of these things. And they're, they could have, toxic lives or healthy lives, you know, depending on on where they put their energy and still be just as successful in their milieu as, you know, because how many people get to be famous and quote unquote great? And again, what, what is that definition of greatness?
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: it's like a fraction of a percent, uh-huh. you know, of all of mm-hmm. us that are like heading toward, you know, like really pursuing excellence on a daily basis and trying to, you know, keep our relationships intact and all of that.
1: I think, too, like uh, going back to the Kanye thing, and I just watched the Kanye documentary, and this isn't directed at him specifically, but I I saw how hard he had to work, mm-hmm. how hard he had to work. And he had so much going for him at a point. I realized he came from poverty, but at a point he was like one of the biggest producers in the world. He had Jay-Z's number on speed dial. He was signed to Jay-Z's record label and he still you watch that documentary what he had to do to get his album released was unreal what he did even with all those credentials even with who he was at that time with who he knew i feel like he worked harder than most artists i know who are trying to make it mm-hmm. without any of that stuff and so it made me think that um or it made me remember something uh, i read one time there's a music columnist writing about certain famous musicians and he's like are they healthy he's like of course they're not healthy what you have to do to reach that level right Mm -hmm. is by nature you almost have to be an unhealthy person Mm -hmm. in order to do what it takes to reach those super high levels of success you know and it, it made me think like what is it uh, that drives us to a certain level of success, how much success is enough success? Or how do I define success for mm-hmm. me? You know, And uh, is your output the most important part of you? Is that what makes you who you are, is, is your artistic output? Obviously, it's a part of us, right? But is it mm-hmm. the most important? And what are you willing to sacrifice in order to get 10% better? two mm-hmm. percent better five percent better or what are you willing to sacrifice to get sort of to that next level you know so i guess you get into the whole conversation about what is success and how long do those people stay there and how long do you feel successful when you're there i've had a, a friend of mine he and i have this uh, saying that we've had for a long time i'm not sure if he came up with it or i did or we came up with it together but it is it it's way better to be number two for a long time to be than to be number one for a minute
2: so true.
1: So, all you get being number one for a minute is to say that at one point you're number one. But being number two for a long time means that you are established, that you are accomplishing a long term work, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I guess this comes back to balance. We're talking about mental health and we're talking about art. We're really talking about balance. And this is one thing I learned. I was even telling my wife about this the other day. I was in therapy for a little bit, which I think is great. And I think everyone should do. Yes. I, I have a good friend who believes like you take your kids to the dentist, you get well visits at the doctor, and then you should, you know, you should get checked up in therapy. And I have another friend who says that you should change the oil in your car. Don't wait until your engine blows up, <laughs> you know? And so it's kind of, I, I, there is still. People say, you know, our parents' generation, there's like a massive stigma around therapy. And people say there's not, but there still is when it comes to a lot of people. Um, but not for me, though. I, I went to therapy and learned all kinds of incredible things like, oh, life is a balancing act. And my I'm a human, I'm a, I'm a bit of a machine. There's a mechanic or there are mechanics to my life if I put too much in one basket, it's going to tip.
0: Yes. If I put
1: too much in the other, it's going to tip this way. And a lot of that, I think I was taking on as a believer, I took on a lot of shame of not being something I thought I was supposed to be, or shame of not doing the things I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know. And then you read the verse where Paul's like, you have not resisted to bloodshed, the <laughs> committing of sin. You know what I mean? And I appreciate Paul. I love him. But I feel like there's this thing where it's like you're supposed to be able to do the right thing all the time, no matter what. And that's what it means to be a good believer. When the truth is like life is not about a single decision. It's about a string of decisions. And a lot of times you've lost the battle before you even like stepped up to the plate, you know, because you've already made so many decisions, yeah, you know, but I just realized like taking care of myself is like, part of being a righteous person is that you can't always do this but when i get enough sleep when i get exercise when i eat right i think clearer i make better decisions totally you know i'm a healthier person and it's sort of like what does that have to do with spirituality or what does that have to do with being an artist well the clarity of mind you know and the confidence knowing that like you're doing the best work you can like that really, really matters. And a lot of that comes from just really boring everyday stuff that we don't want to admit makes a difference.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting that you're saying because historically I've poured so much into what I considered a sense of calling on my own life that so many other important things in my life, were harmed or they paled in comparison to this pursuit and you know the pursuit of calling can lend itself to your own feelings or intimations about significance and legacy and what you're doing with your life and so they're these huge things but it's interesting you were even pointing out with kanye like what he had to give himself to to reach that point and this, again, is not about him so much as it's, it's about my own life. But I realized that in those moments of my own pursuit in that, there were so many things that I neglected. And I've had to stop a lot of other things and, and begin to tend to these things. And I said this in another interview that I had here on Makers and Mystics, but I've been so fascinated with this word integrity over it's been my meditation for the past season of my life and i've been going into the root of what integrity really means and integrity really means wholeness it's not just a moral concept integrity is not just about morality but integrity is about wholeness and integrity at the root of that word is integrate Mm -hmm. it means that all the parts of our lives are integrated into one and i know that there's there's certainly seasons of sacrifice mm-hmm. for one aspect or another. And I know that there are certainly moments when there is necessarily more focus given on one area of life than another. You know, this, this past year for me has been a time where I've been focused on family and on my marriage and on my children and on relationship, and, and that was desperately needed in my life. But learning how to integrate all the parts of who we are I believe that's what mental health is—is mm-hmm. is, is that we're not we're not fueled by one part of ourselves while other important parts of ourselves are suffering.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm always thinking about this concept that the artist is sort of by nature always open, radically open,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and that that is sort of what makes the artistic temperament. You know that we for whatever reason, we're so affected by our senses. We're constantly taking in all of this sensory information, all of this emotional information, and you know, metabolizing that into the artwork that we make. But there's a point at which that openness can become like a devouring pit. And I remember when I was writing my first book, I had a conversation with a director. And I wanted to talk to her because, I, you know, I'm not an actor, but I wanted to ask her, you know, how do you fully occupy your character so that you can understand this character better? And she said, no, you don't want to occupy your character fully. Hmm. The The artists that do that are the ones who have breakdowns and who lose touch with reality. And she, she talked about Heath Ledger. Uh-huh. And she said, you know, he made the mistake of occupying that character too fully. And he he separated from himself,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know? And so the art project and the, you know, the character became the alternate reality that he was living in and he couldn't handle that. So when you're talking about integrity and that that need to live in wholeness, it's because we are so apt to be divided from ourselves. I mean, I remember for so many years, I would, ha- I would literally think, and usually probably in a late night, you know, an all-nighter cram session, but... I would think if I could just, like, get rid of my body, then I could make more art, you know? And I, I, there was a part of me that really believed I could do that, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know, that I could somehow transcend my body so that I could make more art. That, that's not a way to live. And I, I wonder if when you're somebody with a vision like Kanye or like any, any artist who is, tenacious and doesn't want to give up you know for whatever reason whether it's the ego or you know fear of failure or whatever or just that you really believe in what you're doing there is a we are human beings and there's a point at which that you know pitbull grip on on the art has to release a bit mm-hmm. in order for us not to hurt ourselves or other people
1: mm-hmm. yep and I think that the art is always a projection it's not really you mm-hmm. and i think uh, artists have difficult time with that for a number of reasons you know even what even kind of what you just said uh with the the ego and the identity and honestly being it's not an easy thing to do and i'm not even saying i've even achieved it but separating your identity from your work is such a freeing thing mm. and i didn't realize this and but for a long time, and I think most people do this and most people do it early in life and don't realize they're doing It's, you know, how do you, create, how do you create your identity? You know, you have to have an identity. Like identity is somewhat of a vacuum. You can't not exist. But this has to do with you separating from your body. That's really interesting. <laughs> but I, but the identity is next. You have to have an identity. Me And your identity is the way you are seen in the world because you need to survive in the world. The world is incredibly dangerous and you have to somehow survive. I think you mentioned that too, survival. But in a survivor in the early stages, maybe maybe there's a time in your life when you need to be a survivor in order to not die. Mm -hmm. But a survivor who has survived, who has moved into the area of thriving, but continues with a Survivor mentality becomes a tyrant. Wow, that is the,
2: huge, John Mark. That is yeah.
1: huge. The mindset of a survivor and a tyrant are the exact yes same. They are That's really good. mindset, and it's not shame on being a survivor. It's just I mean, I, recently we had this thing. Like I've I've been fairly successful, and um, uh, and I, my buddy uh just got an offer to go out on a stadium tour. He's one of my band members. And I was so pumped for him. It was really great. I'm not even traveling during that time. It's not taken away from me at all. I'm really happy for him. And I found myself like kind of sad and a little bit jealous. And I was like, what is this? Like, it's just perfect for him. In fact, he needs to do it. It's just it's great opportunity for him to make some money and some good experience. I'm not at all afraid that he's going to go do that and never play with me again. That's just not even not remotely afraid of that. But I realized, like, oh. I'm jealous, right? And I was like, well, why? Why would I be jealous? I'm pretty successful. And I realized that I'm still trying to survive. I'm still trying to make it. And I was like, I need to like really sit down and think about this. Because the things you have to do in order to survive will, um, I I think, will kill you later on. You know, the mindset that you have to have in order to, like, when you're young and you're, like, if uh, you know, pushing the rock up the hill, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, but that mindset later in life, you'll you'll end up driving people. you end up burning people up.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Burning yourself out. You know, and that's a lot of what people, I think, when they talk about burnout, I think that's a lot of what it is. You just kept surviving Mm -hmm. when you didn't have to.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics Roundtable, Part 1. We'll be back again next week for Part 2 of this discussion on mental health and the artist. I'd like to invite you to join our creative collective and participate in these and other conversations with our online community. Visit patreon.com slash makersandmystics or see the show notes of this episode for details. We'll see you again next week. And in the meantime, keep creating. The world needs your art.